You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Updates on Influence Ops and campaign hacking show that the opposition has its troubles too. Trickbot operators seem to have returned to business. Schools' remote learning programs are providing attractive targets for cyber criminals. Iranian news outlets say ports were the target of last week's cyber attacks. David DeFore explains how phishing campaigns capitalized on a global crisis. And Charlie Tibor says, Hello, world. We paraphrase. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, October 19th, 2020. In news that just broke this afternoon, the U.S. Justice Department announced the unsealing of an indictment against six Russian GRU officers belonging to Unit 74455 a group known as Sandworm. In the present indictment, the Justice Department notes that while it indicted members of the Sandworm unit for election-related attacks, in this case they're being called out for actions related to the disruption of Ukraine's power grid and the subsequent NotPetya destructive attack that spilled far beyond Ukraine. NotPetya had worldwide effects, shutting down companies and causing immense harm. The Justice announcement points out that for three U.S. victims— damages exceeded a billion dollars, and that globally, the transportation and healthcare sectors were especially targeted. Justice is particularly hard on the Sandworm team and calls the conspirators' actions on the part of the Russian government as irresponsible, more like the activities of a petulant child than a responsible government. The indictment, Justice says, lays bare Russia's activities to disrupt the internal politics of other countries. Cisco's Talos Group, Facebook, Twitter, and Google were thanked, as are Five Eyes Partners, for their cooperation in the investigation. The indictments were issued by a federal grand jury in Pittsburgh, where the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania and the FBI's Pittsburgh field office led the investigation. This is a developing story. We'll follow up on it as more news emerges. There are a number of follow-ups to earlier stories today, Late Friday, Google published an update on what it's observed of foreign intelligence services' activities against U.S. political campaigns. Over the summer, Google's threat analysis group monitored attempts by Iran's APT-35, also known as Charming Kitten, and Iran's APT-31, or Judgment Panda, to compromise email accounts belonging to staffers at both the Trump and Biden presidential campaigns. The attacks were carried out by phishing. 
Google says it saw no signs that the attacks were successful. The threat analysis group also observed spammy, clumsily executed attempts at influence operations directed against U.S. audiences by inauthentic networks run from China. Quote, This network has a presence across multiple platforms and acts by primarily acquiring or hijacking existing accounts and posting spammy content. There's that word, spammy. And Google adds that the content was in Mandarin and featured the usual internet gigaws of such clickbait as videos of animals, music, food, plants, sports, and games. Google went on to say that, quote, a small fraction of these spam channels will then post videos about current events. Such videos frequently feature clumsy translations and computer-generated voices. Researchers at Graphica and FireEye have detailed how this network behaves, including its shift from posting content in Mandarin about issues related to Hong Kong and China's response to COVID-19 to include a small subset of content in English and Mandarin about current events in the U.S., such as protests about racial justice, the wildfires on the West Coast, and the U.S. response to COVID-19, end quote. Most of these were carried out over YouTube, marred by clumsy machine translation and ineffectual execution. It's worth remembering that the opposition isn't always 10 feet tall. That's three meters and a few baker's dozen of millimeters for those living in, well, basically anywhere but here in the U.S. of A. That's not a council of relaxed vigilance, just a realistic appraisal that the opposition has its problems, too. CrowdStrike has a dispiriting follow-up to the recent public-private interference with the TrickBot gang. The disruption that interference caused seemed to have been quick and sharp, but unfortunately, the TrickBot gang, Wizard Spider in CrowdStrike's threat menagerie, seems to have recovered faster than anyone would have wished. Their bizarre loader Trojans distribution is rising, and the rates of Conti and Ryuk infestations seem to have returned to their normal levels. No one expected the takedowns to amount to more than a temporary disruption, but unfortunately that disruption has proved more temporary than hoped. Bleeping Computer reports that TrickBot operators have begun using the legitimate project management solution Basecamp to host the Trojan Bazaar Loader with the ultimate goal of installing Ryuk ransomware. Researchers at the security firm Sijax made the point that insinuating a loader into a legitimate service increases the likelihood that defenses will interpret the malicious code as benign and pass it through to its targets. Schools, forced by the COVID-19 pandemic to operate online with large, often poorly protected attack surfaces, continue to attract the attention of cybercriminals, the Wall Street Journal says. For many individual schools and school districts, the general shift to online virtual learning has itself represented an improvisation. It's terra incognita for students, faculty, administrators, and we might add parents. Under these circumstances, attacks have ranged from prank-level denial-of-service escapades by students interested in doing even less to full-scale ransomware attacks. The criminal extortion is at once more serious and more widespread, where availability is at a premium, as it is with schools. The ransomware threat bites harder. Iran's ports and maritime organization reported that last week's cyber attacks against the country targeted ports but were unsuccessful. Port Strategy reports that no other details have been forthcoming. And finally, in a CyberWire exclusive, 
We're authorized to disclose the arrival on or about 9 o'clock Friday morning of Charlie Tibor Komaromi, the new son of our colleague, producer Kelsey Bond. The tail of the tape puts Charlie at 6 pounds, 1 ounce, and 20.6 inches long. The pictures of him look great, and our maternity desk tells us that the hat he's wearing was a gift that he did not arrive with it on his head. So congratulations to Kelsey and Steve. Looking ahead, listeners, please block out some internship opportunities in your organization for Charlie in about 2036. We think he's going to be precocious. And share the young family's joy. All of us at the CyberWire do. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I am joined once again by Rick Howard. He is the Chief Security Officer and Chief Analyst here at the CyberWire. Uh, Rick, I got to say, I'm a little jealous. Uh, <laughs> you recently had the opportunity to sit down with one of uh, our favorite authors. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yes, I got to interview David Sanger again. Okay, He is the noted New York Times journalist, three-peat Pulitzer Prize winner, and doesn't that <laughs> make who's you... counting? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit inadequate at this point. Right. <laughs> right. He's uh, got a shelf full. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely tie my shoes in the morning. Um, <laughs> he is an author, and now he's a producer of an HBO documentary about his most recent book, The Perfect Weapon, How the Cyber Arms Race Set the World Afire. 
the documentary starts streaming uh, on 16 October at 8 p.m. on HBO mm. and HBO Max, and I highly recommend it. I've seen it twice now. Now, my recollection is that uh, you and I are on the same page here. We both really enjoyed that book. Um, where does it fit into your collection of, of uh, you know, the great cybersecurity books? Yeah, you're right. You, you and I love talking about that. And you know for years that if anybody ever asked me about what is the one book they should read to get a sense of the cybersecurity community, I would always recommend an old favorite, The Cuckoo's Egg by Dr. Mm -hmm. Clifford Stoll, favorite by everybody. He published it in the late 80s. That book convinced a lot of people to pursue cybersecurity as a career in the early days, including me. All right, but if there is any book that could potentially knock Cuckoo's Egg off that lofty perch, it is Sanger's Perfect Weapon. Wow. All right. Well, it doesn't get uh, much more <laughs> of uh, praise than that. Um, well, for you, what are the takeaways? I mean, we have the book and now also the documentary. What were the take-homes for you? Well, uh, Sanger is captured completely, all right, the, the seminal paradigm shift in thinking by nation states around the world in the last decade from cyber just being a novelty item with limited capability and use to cyber being a strategic tentpole lever as an instrument of political power and influence. Before 2010, most nation states, including the U.S., thought about cyber as a novel tool for a subset of cyber espionage requirements. But today, though, cyber has become the political lever to pull for nation states like China, Russia, and the U.S. that are just short of actual warfare. These nations can do extreme damage to each other in the cyber arena without the fear that they, the action will escalate to a shooting war. And then for smaller nations like North Korea and Iran, cyber has become the great playing field leveler. These smaller nations can exact the same kinds of damage as the big boys now at a fraction of the cost compared to trying to match, you know, U.S. numbers of tanks, aircraft carriers, and jets. Hmm. Sanger's book, and, and now his documentary, captures this paradigm shift perfectly. Uh, here's David, after I interviewed him, explaining uh, the book and the documentary. Well, Rick, the, um, the concept behind the book was that we went through years in which, in the national security world, People viewed cyber as this sort of interesting side, irregular warfare kind of thing that, you know, was sort of a nice thing to spend a half an hour learning about while you were spending the year or two years or your career learning about traditional national security. And what have we discovered in the time since? That it's not the sideshow, it is the show. That in a world in which no one wants to take on the U.S. military directly for all the understandable reasons, it is suddenly possible to undercut American power or another adversary's power by using a short-of-war cyber-related weapon, whether it, you are hacking into infrastructure, dams, voting machines, electric power grids, a financial system, or whether you're hacking into mines, the information wars that we've seen surrounding the 2016 election and begun to see in 2020, although here in the 2020 elections we'll discuss, we've got some new concerns that go beyond what the Russians did uh, four years ago. So we brought it sort of up to date. You'll see... Um, 
a lot of different people talking about what it's like to have been on the receiving end of this and the sort of fog of war. You've got everyone in this documentary from Hillary Clinton and John Podesta, who sat down to talk about the 2016 election, to Seth Rogen, who was the star of, of course, uh, the interview. Um, and uh, he is very funny, uh, I do have to say. And um, you'll see uh, people like Eric Rosenbach, co-director of Harvard's Belfer Center, but was the chief of staff to Ash Carter at the Pentagon when he was secretary of defense, talking about the calculus that you make as you're under cyber attack or as you're trying to think about what the U.S. can go do. So the idea is to bring you in at a very human level to the kind of decisions that have to be made when you're on the receiving end and when you're on the offensive end. You know, Rick, one thing about the book, I mean, obviously uh, extremely well written by David Sanger, but one of the things that I remember as I was going through it was this is one of those books where I had to pause every now and then and go back and (laughs) And reread a paragraph, um, and and part of that is that this this inf- this book is so packed with information. How do you convert that to a documentary? How do you distill it down to something when you don't have the amount of time that you have in a book? Uh, and also, I mean, it's a different medium. Yeah, you know, I took I don't know, I had maybe twenty pages of notes uh, when I went through that book the first time. That's how uh, that's how much information is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I would say that the documentary finds a nice through line of the book's material. They don't go through everything, of course, but they pick the highlights. They start off with Stuxnet in 2010, which is arguably the beginning of this new kind of thinking when the U.S. and Israel decided to use cyber as a way to delay the Iranian nuclear program. They moved to the Iranians' attack on the Sands Casino in 2014, demonstrating that a small nation can devastate a mini city. Because most people don't realize that you know casinos are mini cities. Besides mm-hmm. the gambling, they have all that you know admin stuff they got to do. Hmm. And then from there, they covered the North Korean attacks on Sony, showing that a small country could prevent a major U.S. corporation from doing what they wanted to do, namely showing a crappy movie in theaters. Uh, they pretty <laughs> much stopped that. All right. <laughs> and then finally, they switched to the Russians, one of the big boys, and their cyber attacks against the Democratic National Committee and their subsequent influence operations on the U.S. election. Uh, they talked a lot about how the Russians used Ukraine as a petri dish to test their operations with the big malware operation of NotPetya. Yeah. Well, I, I'm on board with you here. Uh, this is definitely one to check out. Um, the documentary uh, starts streaming on October 16th. That's uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on HBO and HBO Max. You can listen to Rick's full interview with David Sanger about the book and the documentary. That'll be up later this week on CyberWire Pro. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the VP of Engineering at WebRoot. Uh, David, it's always great to have you back. Uh, I know you and your team recently published a report that was about uh, was about phishing and uh, how, how things have uh, changed during our global pandemic. What can you share with us today? Hey, David. Uh, great to be back, as always. Um, yeah, we, we typically do an annual threat report, but this year with with everything going on in the world, we decided we, we might want to do a 
a mid-year, uh, you know, temperature check just just to see how things are going. And, and fishing came to the top. You know, we were focused <laughs> on COVID and working from home, and it was it was all about fishing. Hmm. So, what sort of things did you find here? Well, uh, if you can believe it or not, and, and I'm not talking about malicious email, I'm talking about email in general. We saw a 34% increase in the amount of email people were getting. And hmm. I, I thought a year ago I was getting a lot of email, but but a third more now is is it's just crazy how we're getting inundated. And so, of course, inside of those uh, of that increase, we're we're seeing a huge uptick in the in the phishing campaigns uh, that are being put on through COVID. You know, uh, people wanting to get their stimulus check and telling you how you can get it quicker. You know, these types of things. We're really we're really starting to see a lot of threats around that. Hmm. Well, with the increase in email, what kind of stuff are we seeing hitting our inbox? Well, I think none of this will be surprising, but it's just kind of critical to bring up so people are are keeping it top of mind. A lot of things are, hey, make a donation or, you know, click here, click this link to to be able to donate to help, you know, COVID survivors or or um, things of that nature, or maybe, hey, you want to get your stimulus check quicker, click this link and give us your account information and we'll get your stimulus check deposited in, you know, a few minutes. None of that is true. You you know how that works, David. They're just trying to get you to click that link. Is the educational message getting around? I mean, are, are people knowing to not click on these things? Well, absolutely they are. And, and that actually impressed us quite a bit, that people are aware that they shouldn't be clicking phishing links. People are very knowledgeable about what phishing is. The problem that we're seeing is, is kind of twofold. One, people are getting inundated with emails uh, from colleagues or, you know, customers even, where it may be coming from their personal account, it may be coming from their business account because everyone's working at home. So they're getting a lot of email from unfamiliar places and some some of it's legitimate for them to do their job. And the other uh, big issue is you're at home with little Susie or little Johnny from school and you're trying to make them lunch and you're trying to answer emails and you're trying to respond to your boss. Um, And so, so there's also a distraction factor where people aren't as focused on what they're reading and they're more apt to click as well. So what are the take-homes here? I mean, are, are there technical solutions? Is this a training issue or is it a little mix of both? Well, I think it's a little mix of both. I, I think everyone has uh, fully accepted that, that every employee is now frontline IT support um, because we're not sitting in an office. So there is an education component. And, and that th- the refreshing thing, and you and I have talked about this many times on the show, p- the, 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 the security industry has realized that the user's not as dumb as we want to make them out to be. People really mm-hmm. want to do the right thing. If we can educate them, um, like I said, most people know what phishing is. We just got to keep it top of mind and in their, in their brain that to, to be aware of it. But on top of that, the thing that people really need to be doing is slowing down and taking the time to read what's going on. And if you're in a busy spot, maybe don't answer your email. Set aside some time when you can do it thoughtfully. Hmm. I guess part of that's a leadership thing too, making sure that your team knows that that you want them to take time looking at those emails, you know, it's deciding whether they're legit or not. Slow down, don't rush. We're going to give you, provide you with the time to do this. 
That's exactly right. And, and this also, to, to take a, you know, <laughs> example uh, out of the government playbook, you know, the IRS is never going to send you an email saying, click this link and give me your bank account information. So to mm-hmm. your point, David, you know, uh, management of the company of people working from home should be like, look, if it's urgent, I'll give you a call. If it's in an mm-hmm. email, you know, get to it when you can. Just stay focused on the work you're doing. And if, if there's a little bit of a distraction, that's okay. And, and to your point, we need to make that clear to our employees that, that you know, we'll get a hold of you some other way. Still, don't click the link. The email's not going to be the urgent, everything's on fire, drop everything you're doing and tell me your bank account information. Right, right. All right, interesting information. David DeFord, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. You deserve a break today. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.